in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. The podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. As you can tell by my voice, I am not Russell Guest. This is Chad Robinson hosting today. Russell's awake this week, possibly lost in a jungle, so we're really going to mix things up. With me is a close personal friend of the show, Mary Guest. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be back on the show. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah, having, having children will do this to you. Uh, Brian Fry is going to be experiencing that very, very shortly. So we're all, uh, we're all happy for you guys, and thanks for coming on today, Mary. And with us, we have another close personal friend of the show, returning guest, Tessa Morrison from Austin, Texas. Tessa, we're glad to have you back. Tessa is with Other Worlds Film Festival. Can you tell the folks at home what you do and what Other Worlds Film Festival is all about? Uh, I'm the outreach director and one of the programmers for the festival. We are, as you said, a sci-fi film festival, but we also showcase horror and other fantasy and pretty much any kind of film that discovers or talks about worlds other than our own. So we've kind of opened it up to be more of a, a genre film festival. We also do retrospective screenings along with showing films to new and upcoming and emerging filmmakers in mostly the sci-fi genre. Yeah, that is uh, an amazing festival. I highly recommend people come check us out. We are good. Right now we're scheduled to be the first weekend of December. Very good. And sci-fi is probably our most requested genre here on Retro Movie Roundtable. And we're thrilled to have one of the experts here to do this uh, sci-fi film today. We'll get into that a little bit later. But as you're talking about other movie worlds, Tessa, what movie world would you personally like to visit? Honestly, none of them, because in every movie, something bad is happening because you have to advance a plot. (laughs) That's so true. I know. I was like, oh, no, no, that one exploded. No, wait, what about this one? Like any planet where people is peaceful and people are happy, it usually means there's a hive mind taking control of everyone. So (laughs) which maybe is starting to look not so bad right about now. But anyways, uh, let's not get into politics. Let's talk sci fi. (laughs) Which one had murder hornets? Murder hornets? I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure there is a dimension with murder hornets, and I'm sure they've had it on Rick and Morty at some point. Yeah, I thought about ones I definitely didn't want to go to, like Miranda from Serenity. Oh. Yeah, that one's rough. Or LV-426 would probably not be a good place to go. So yeah, those were a couple. Or what's the one from Avatar? Pandora? Yes. Or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't quite answer your question. I kind of did a roundabout opposite but uh there you have it so alderaan it is sure nice place <laughs> oh, you, no. mary where are you going kind of had the same reaction as tessa kept thinking about all the ones i didn't want to go to <laughs> <laughs> i kind of thought well you know why not indoor at least there's cute cuddly ewoks there yes 
this this doesn't make some people happy, but it makes me happy. So thank you. <laughs> uh, they might try for... to eat you though. It didn't blow up. There was nothing that really that bad happened. So it might be a safer choice than some. There is a great dissertation of what happens when Death Star Two blows up to Endor's uh, environment, and basically they're all dead. Oh, oh, no. oh, okay. Well, maybe that choice isn't uh, that safe. Anyway. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going sci-fi, but I'm going horror. I'm going with Halloween Town. Just, oh. watched, just watched that uh, last night with my daughter again. So, I love Halloween. I love horror. Nightmare Before Christmas is where I'm taking up residence. Yeah, Chad, that does seem like the fitting setting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Town being the uh, anti-Chad. Yes, we will not be visiting Christmas Town ever. Cindy Lou Who can just stay over there. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that one, especially since in Kingdom Hearts, Halloween Town is a planet. Yes. Oh, very good point. Last guy, what's your favorite movie score, Tessa? Well, last night I just watched a mock of Jurassic Park, and I gotta say, it's still really solid. Oh, that theme is just fantastic. It's iconic, and I believe Mary in middle school, we had to play it a whole bunch. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> I'm really that sorry. escaped my memory, but you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm bringing this back. <laughs> Bad memory. <laughs> Yeah, there was another one we played a lot. It was Chariots of Fire. That was another one. The uh, smoke on the water? Yeah, <laughs> I could that do so without that, yeah. yeah. See, all these are great. We were stuck playing Roy Orbison. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, what's the score that you can't get out of your head? Talking about Nightmare Before Christmas, I can get that stuck in my head, like songs from that. And I know that's kind of a musical answer, but sometimes I just those songs just randomly pop in my head and they're there all day and i haven't seen the movie in like a year <laughs> but also howard shore's original lord of the rings score yep that that's my choice i i love the nightmare before christmas soundtrack but lord of the rings had that uh, on cd back in the day before mp3s and Ooh. yeah just listen to it on repeat it's just it's peaceful it's serene it's energetic at times i love it Taking the hobbits to Isengard, guard, guard. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, and if you get that reference, uh, you might not be on the younger side. <laughs> <laughs> Refocus this on our movie, our sci-fi movie today. I'm excited to introduce. Um, we are going to be doing Predator from 1987. Uh, just did Alien, so of course we've got to do the counterpart here. Check out our Alien podcast and then let us know which one wins. But as for the movie today, it wound up grossing $59,735,000, uh, placed it in 10th behind The Witches of Eastwick. I am not familiar with that. that what? One. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and just ahead of Dragnet, the number one movie that year was Beverly Hills Cop 2. IMDb is pretty nice to this movie it's giving a 7.8 and rotten tomatoes and the audience score are both in the 80s with 81 percent and 87 percent critics initially really didn't like this movie but they've been kinder to it over the years it actually was nominated for an oscar believe it or not best visual effects it did lose to inner space 
uh, did win for Best Music at the Saturn Awards and was nominated as the Best Science Fiction Film and the Best Actor, that one's on, and Best Visual Effects. <laughs> like I said, it, it initially didn't get great critical reviews, although Roger Ebert defended the film. He said Predator moves at a breakneck pace, strong and simple characterizations, good photography, terrific special effects, and favorite of the show, Leonard Malton, gave it three out of four stars, said it was solid and a suspenseful film, and it emerges a grabber. It's a strange turn of phrase, Leonard Malton, but he liked it. So going into Predator, we'll start with you, Tessa. Had you seen this movie before? Yes. I watched a mock not too long ago, and then before that, I... You know, I must have watched it like on TNT or just on TV in general because I obviously saw the one edited for content. And when <laughs> it maybe originally came out, I was so young that maybe I wouldn't have gotten some of the more um, inappropriate or lewd things that were said. Yes, I had seen it multiple times before. And when you saw it, did you enjoy the movie? And has that changed any now? Oh, yeah. No, I still enjoyed it very much so. But there are definitely some things that made me cringe a little bit, especially within like the first five minutes of us meeting our our crew. <laughs> Good old Jesse Ventura, I'm sure. Uh, what about what about you, Mary? Had you seen Predator before? And if so, what were you expecting this time around? Yeah, it's kind of one of those movies that just was often randomly on cable growing up and you're flipping through channels and you're like, oh, Predator. I'll watch the rest of that. This may have been my first watch from beginning to end. Um, and I definitely saw, you know, edited for TV versions. So all the, you know, lewd jokes that are scattered through the movie are like, I, I didn't remember any of that because I'm pretty sure they're just cut out uh, when you see it on TV. <laughs> I was actually expecting to enjoy it because it is an action filled movie that always kept my attention from beginning to end. So, uh, you know, I went into this, you know, expecting to enjoy it. And I did. Very good. Yeah, I'm wondering, it, I, I want to see these TNT specials now of Predator. Like, did it get the Tremors treatment where you're one ugly mother humper or something like that? <laughs> that probably wouldn't have been appropriate either. <laughs> uh, probably just your one ugly mother and then yeah. just left the end out maybe. Or, or just I mean, every they... scene with Shane Black being cut. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That yeah. guy's jokes were just not funny. We're just like, come on, dude, give it up. We get it. You're an incel. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely talk about Mr. Black here shortly. As for me, I, I'd i seen this movie. I actually revisited the entire Predator franchise last year, did a run through all of them, and uh, then did the Alien vs. Predators rewatches. This is the best of the lot. It still has. The, the new movies are they're tough, uh, particularly the Olivia Munn one. Is a, uh, that's a very rough ride. I, I wish it had been better, but this movie, for the most part, holds up. Uh, there are some some parts that are a little frustrating, but the the effects from the '80s, I still I'm still impressed by. So I enjoy Predator. I am so glad it was suggested. So thank you, Tessa. You're I, very welcome. <laughs> I'm a simple man. I see Predator. I pick Predator. So, <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, we are going to take a quick advertisement break. Uh, as a warning, there are spoilers lying ahead. We will ruin the plot of Predator. So if that's a concern to you, go watch the movie. If you haven't seen Predator, please just go watch the movie. And we'll be back in a couple seconds. 
Do you love sci-fi, horror, and fantasy films? Then grab a badge for Otherworlds Film Festival, the country's premier sci-fi film festival. There will be Q&As, panels, parties, and mixers. Rub elbows with up-and-coming and established filmmakers, as well as like-minded filmgoers. Come celebrate our seventh year, December 3rd through 6th, at the Galaxy Highland in Austin, Texas. Badges are now for sale at otherworldsfilmfest.com. That's otherworldsfilmfest.com. And we're back. So once again, if you're concerned about spoilers and haven't seen Predator before or want to go watch it, please do so. Otherwise, I'm about to break down how the movie Predator goes. So two future U.S. governors, along with Apollo Creed, the dude that directed Iron Man 3, and an elite squad of ex-military vets tracked down a down chopper in an effort to rescue a foreign official and his aides. The team discovers the wreckage of a helicopter along with three flayed corpses. Ramsey Bolton was strangely unavailable for comment. After reaching the enemy insurgents' camp and blowing everything up without regard for where the hostages might actually be kept, CIA agent Dylan reveals it's all been a ruse in order to retrieve intelligence from captured operatives. The team proceeds to the extraction point, but suddenly start getting picked off by an unseen force. The creature spares Anna, the only surviving member from the insurgent camp, as she's unarmed but continues to hunt the men. Despite setting traps, the team continues to fall to the camouflage predator. It's pretty much the most dangerous game, but with an alien at this point. Finally, it's down to the governator and the predator. Dutch discovers the predator hunts by th using thermal vision, and he covers himself in mud in order to effectively fight back. After losing a hand-to-hand -hand combat fight with the creature, Dutch pulls a move straight out of the Ewoks playbook and smashes the Predator with a giant tree swinging from a vine trap. Before Dutch can get answers, the creature activates a self-destruct device and laughs maniacally. Dutch escapes and is rescued by the extraction team along with Anna. Why do you think this film has staying power? What separates Predator from run-of-the-mill science fiction action? I mean... As we've already just discussed, it's got an amazing cast. I mean, we have ex actual soldiers, I want to say, um, yes. and bodybuilders, wrestlers. Like, we, we have a pretty all-star cast as far as, like, an action film goes. So we, we have that pretty much down pat. The score is amazing. The uh, landscape where they're filming, it looks everything looks great. And it almost wasn't great, which we'll get into later. It's just kind of like the trifecta. Even if some of like, by today's standards, some of like the quippy one-liners are a little, you know, cliche, it's still just a classic. It's, it's like you said, it's kind of got a simplicity to it that just makes it just gel together. Oh, yeah. And those one-liners, man, I, I love them. I love a little cheese in my action movie. <laughs> I mean, Dutch does a couple there in a row when they're taking out the uh, insurgents, and it's just like one after the other for a second. I was like, oh, man, just space them out a bit, but okay, sure. Arnold just is so good at it. It's, I guess he it's is. just too tempting for them to just pack as many good Arnold, li Arnold lines in there as they can. Yeah, and he improv that stick around as he threw the knife through someone. Oh god, so good, so good, so bad. I mean, this is his most like quoted film that he quotes. Like, it's his favorite to quote is Predator. Like, he always he loves the line "Get to the Chapa. You know, he <laughs> loves it. Excellent impression, by the way. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Do not encourage. Oh. 
that's going to keep happening. We're going to keep asking for that. Your best quote better be in the Arnold voice. Uh, <laughs> Mary, what, uh, what gives Predator staying power for you? A movie like this, the strength in its success is really its simplicity. They really were tight with their plot and they focused on executing it really, really at a high level and didn't cut corners. So I think that comes through, you know, decades later, you still see how focused they were on the end goal and the big picture um, and their attention to detail. So yeah, I, I feel like it does remain a classic just because they knew to keep it simple. It really does kind of build up. We're not just thrown into the alien planet and you're being hunted or whatever. It's it's Earth, there's a slow burn, there's the gorilla camp, and then it's something like 20 minutes before there's really action. Yeah, and you get most of the way through the movie before you ever actually see the creature and that's so clever because when you do see it it really delivers and so it's got a it's got a lot of punch to it that costume's so good i'm sorry i just gush over that costume so great even when they show like the creature's hands because with like monster like hands and gloves they can get real clunky and rubbery and fake looking i see that in movies a lot we're just just not well done like makeup like hands those claws are just great sorry go ahead no no i gush over predator costuming all you want that's that's it for me man they nailed the monster and that's what you have to do the thing is another thing you you have to nail the monster and they did that costume is great uh the the voice is great the cry the gurgling all of this is just wonderful and it takes the alien it takes the jaws approach where you don't see it mary brought it up you don't really see it for so long it's just this hidden terror and that that makes things better for me the less is more is definitely my approach to the movie. We've talked a little bit about thriving on that s simplicity, but what's scariest about the Predator monster? I mean, well, the fact he's invisible. It's like what you can't see, you know, is is always the most terrifying is, is the monster that's invisible and is also at like high-tech lasers he's going to shoot at you. I mean... <laughs> He also has capabilities beyond what a human does. You know, he's seeing that heat sensing, you know, and Arnold's out there at the disadvantage because he doesn't have that, you know, because it, it just, it's not like you're pairing man against man. You're pairing, you know, an incredibly skilled, very tough man against something that he doesn't really understand what he's dealing with. So it puts him in more perils. So you feel that. The actor who played Predator is like, what, seven foot two? Like they yeah. had to get somebody who was pretty imposing to go up against Arnold. I mean, the guy who plays the Predator maybe isn't as like buff, but he is a, a large uh, imposing figure. Also another thing that kind of makes the, the Predator creepy is his, I mean, the design of the mouth that was kind of inspired by, I believe James Cameron was sitting next to Stan Winston on a plane when he said, hey, add some creepy mandibles uh, yes. to that design. Yeah, that's a stroke of genius. And, you know, I like how it, it really plays on, you know, creepy crawlies that, you know, taking details of, you know, crab-like details or like scorpion-like details and work it in because that's taking something very tangible and that's creepy in real life and applies it to this, you know, unknown creature. It's just really a stroke of genius. Uh, with me, it's just, he toys with them. 
it, it's a game to him, and he's picking them off one by one because he can. I mean, he absolutely could have wiped them all out in the first instance, and just the terror that that adds to him of who's next, or who's going down, and then there goes Mac in the jungle by himself for no good reason. <laughs> it's like, well, gonna be you, but yeah, the fact that he has a set of rules and is just playing with them is terrifying to me. Going back to what Mary was saying about the predator having kind of like a crab-like face, I'm pretty sure some of the clicking noises that he, the clicking and gurgling noises he made, they sampled from a horseshoe crab. So yeah, you're right on on the point there, Mary. Yeah, the dude, uh, it was the same guy that did King Kong, Peter Cullen. But uh, yeah, those gurgling noises are so creepy. Ah, Something like that. This is, you're now hired as our unpaid special effects. <laughs> I mentioned this before as far as the Aliens franchise, and this is this is now forever connected to Aliens. Is that a positive for you guys, or is it good enough to stand alone? Alien versus Predator 1, yes. Alien versus Predator 2, not so much. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have not watched all of the Predator series, so I can't really speak to this issue. But I think it's kind of interesting that these two franchises that were separate, somebody at some point was like, these should be connected. So I kind of will be interested to finish the Predator series to kind of explore what those connections really are. It gets good and then frustrating, (laughs) I think is the best way to put it. As they add more to the lore, it becomes more frustrating. But the first Alien vs. Predator, it's not a good movie, but it's a whole lot of fun. I enjoy it. It's like you're entertained. But yeah, the director said that he was inspired by Alien, Rambo, and uh, Apocalypse Now, I believe. Yes. So uh, those are our three, which explains, uh, one, all the helicopters, the aliens, and then all the macho dudes. I mean, it's basically the trifecta, you know, it's the test tube baby of those three movies, basically. And that's why they needed a minigun for no <laughs> I had friends telling me no human could have held onto that gun and not dislocated all of the joints in their arms. Oh, no way. But he's Jesse the Body Venturer, so what? <laughs> His body could take it. And... He's a sexual tyrannosaurus. Oh, man. (laughs) I saw him talking about that gun in an interview where the first time he fired it on set, he said even the stuntmen who have used all kinds of weaponry throughout their careers and should have known, you know, been prepared for anything were just staring at him with their with their jaws open (laughs) because that weapon is so imposing that even these experienced stunt people just had a little bit of shock and awe about it. Yeah, it was uh, it was real. They slowed it down to a third of its speed, so it wasn't ejecting brass like crazy. And they uh, they had a battery in the woods powering it up. It was a car battery. Any guesses as to how many people were killed during this film? In the film, not not during. But <laughs> oh, okay, not during filming, but actual like the movie's body count. I yes. honestly lost track after about seven when they showed at that guerrilla insurgents camp and they rolled the truck down into it and blew up a couple of buildings. It was really hard to like nail down how many insurgents were in that camp <laughs> and potential hostages. It was just that too indiscriminate. <laughs> Russell provided this factoid to me and uh, I assume he got it from the internet where 
everything is true all the time, but he has the body count at 69 humans. I'm, really? Yeah, I'm guessing most of those were insurgents, but the, the Predator certainly took out quite a bit from the team. Yeah, it would be very hard to try and count that in that battle because there's so many explosions going on. I, that's one that it would probably be a little bit subjective. That was a that was a very indulgent battle. I feel like most of their budget that didn't go towards the costume went to just blowing stuff up in the jungle. <laughs> it's like, do you really need that many grenade launchers for whatever you were expecting? Yes, guess, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, the answer was clearly yes. So. Clearly it was not enough. <laughs> yeah, save some of those rounds for maybe giant hunting alien. As we've talked about, we want to get into the cast and the acting. Uh, Mary, will you break down the cast for us? Of course, we have Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe, obviously playing uh, the lead, Major Dutch Schaefer. We have Carl Weathers in a supporting role who everyone would know as Apollo Creed or Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. And check out the Happy Gilmore episode of Retro Movie Roundtable. Nice plug, Mary. Very good segue. Yeah, yeah. If you are a Carl Weathers fan, got to check that out. He also played for the Oakland Raiders uh, in the NFL. So he's playing uh, Dylan Dutch war buddy and CIA operative. Elpedia Carrillo. She plays Anne. She's a female insurgent captured during this extremely indulgent raid we were just talking about. Bill Duke plays Sergeant Mac. If you uh, recall, he's the guy who likes to shave, which was apparently improved by him. Brilliant move to give some life to that character. <laughs> Richard Chaves, uh, who is a real Vietnam vet, plays Poncho Ramirez, the explosives expert. Governor Jesse Ventura, also pro wrestler and former Navy SEAL, plays Blaine, the commando who is chewing tobacco and wields that excessive minigun. Sonny Landham, who is a former stuntman, and I read somewhere ran for a public office, but I didn't find much detail on that, played Billy, the mercenary tracker. Sonny Landham, he needed to have bodyguards, not to protect him, but to protect the rest of the cast from him, because he suffered from uh, rage, bouts of rage. And when someone told me about this, I was like, that's not technically bodyguards. That's like self-imposed bouncers. <laughs> that's they were intimidating. So imagine, imagine having that job, working for a guy who has rage issues, and then this whole other crew of actors who are all like testosterone oozing, you know, macho men. You know they're going to egg that guy on at some point. Like, uh, how big were these bodyguards is what I want to know to take that job. Uh, yeah, that's a strange bit of trivia there to get bodyguards for somebody who <laughs> is a hired actor on the set. <laughs> We uh, also have Shane Black, who was actually originally from Pittsburgh, PA. Most would know him as being the writer of Lethal Weapon and director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which, oddly enough, we just did on the previous episode. Directed Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, and The Predator in... 2018. He plays Hawkins, who is the mercenary radio man who has a fondness for dirty jokes. We also have R.G. Armstrong. He is somebody that m 
Western fans would recognize. He's most famous for being in Westerns. He's playing Major General Phillips. Kevin Peter Hall, who is also from Pittsburgh. So we have two Pittsburgh actors on this film. Most would know him as Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, is seven foot two and that is certainly a contributing factor for how he got the part. You need somebody bigger than Arnold. He plays the Predator, and he also appears as the helicopter pilot. Yeah, the director let him have the helicopter pilot role because he's like, you were in this sweltering suit for this entire movie. We need to get you at least one scene where people can see your face. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And he's certainly a professional at being in really hard-to-deal-with suits, you know, playing Harry. He's, He's in a suit through that entire show so definitely well qualified for for this job peter cullen is a voice actor and uh, some may know him as the original optimus prime and he is the predator's voice we've got savin o thorson he is denmark's 1983 strongest man um, and he is in an uncredited role as the soviet military advisor Speaking of this cast, it's obviously big names even then, uh, big names now, and it almost wasn't our seven foot two Predator. Predator was initially cast as Jean-Claude Van Damme because they wanted an agile martial arts style Predator. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is five foot nine. Nothing wrong with that. Ask me or Russell. But (laughs) uh, there is something wrong when you've got to go up against Arnold Schwarzenegger. And when you're high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a diva and uh, also had a bit of a drug issue later on. But as far as his diva behavior, he wanted a scene where he wouldn't be wearing the mask the, that he could be seen. And he dropped out after, I think it was two days or something like that. It wasn't very long. There are some shots of him actually still in the film, I believe, where uh, he's wearing a different suit. But they use the active camo, so it's partially him, but he's not credited. He also complained that it made him pass out. So we got Kevin Hall, who is seven foot two, to replace him. Mary talked about it earlier, but I noticed it really when he was picking up Arnold. This dude's massive. Now I go back to the Friday the 13th series where Kane Hodder, he's become so iconic. He wasn't the original Jason, but he's become this just imposing figure that's He doesn't speak. He doesn't do anything else. He's just there to be big and intimidating. And that was Kevin Hall's job. I think he did it pretty well. What do you guys think of a nimble five foot nine predator going against Arnie? Just when I saw what the suit was going to be, what that original Jean-Claude Van Damme suit was. It was rough. It wasn't going to (laughs) work. It just, I can't. I, th- we would not know about this movie had that been what the Predator looked like. And that's not Jean-Claude Van Damme's fault. The, the, the costume just w- didn't have the power that the costume that Stan Winston designed ultimately had. So, yeah, it's definitely a make-or-break decision to go to, to, to redesign the costume. They, they saw they had such like a high quality film on their hands and then they saw how ridiculous this suit looked that they're like, no, we, we got to we got to go back to the drawing board with it. I mean, it really that suit looked like Zorak from Space Ghost Coast to Coast. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I do feel like this would have wound up being a mystery science theater movie that we would know for all the wrong reasons if they had stuck with that suit. Arnold said the original head looked like a duck. 
Uh, I know talking to Russell, he said it looked like a giraffe's neck. It was, uh, it was very, very strange and not the predator we know and we love. Jesse Ventura goes on to be governor, was a professor, professional wrestler. He's in this film thanks to Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger had actually interviewed Jesse Ventura in true sweaty muscle fashion of this movie. He said he thought he looked the part, was big enough, and that he was manly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they had they had quite the rivalry on the set. Arnold, where Jesse Ventura discovered that his arms were bigger than Arnold after the wardrobe department told him so. So he suggested to Arnold Schwarzenegger that they measure their arms, which is just a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so much win- machismo. Yes. And the winner gets a bottle of champagne. Turns out Schwarzenegger had told the wardrobe department to tell Ventura that his arms were bigger, so he lost. He had to give Arnold a bottle of champagne. There's just that ridiculous testosterone on the set. You know, they're talking about working out at 4 a.m. and they would all go to see who would be bigger. And Carl Weathers would go quietly away from everyone else and pretend that his physique was natural and that he had just earned it. Yeah, he wouldn't be seen working out with the other guys. Because he doesn't need it, you guys. (laughs) He's just like that, you know? He doesn't need it. He's just naturally that built. <laughs> yeah, born with a six-pack, yes. Very blessed. <laughs> <laughs> that minigun y'all were talking about, Arnold actually, that's the exact same prop that Arnold uses in T2. Yeah, I'm sure Arnold probably even brought that over. It's like, we, we've got to put this in somewhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesse got to use it. I want to use it. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, the competition. Yeah. Why does he get a bigger gun than me? <laughs> you know, can I blow more things up? I can't imagine it had to be just borderline insufferable for, for guys that look like me that are on the smaller side. You know, Shane Black's of the world, but he was made to look geeky, and he complained about it. He wanted to wear different goggles, and he. He didn't want to wear a beret and things like that. He was just, he was made to look geeky in the set. Yeah, Carl Weathers, it, they wound up escalating it to 3 a.m. to work out. Jeez. Who? No, thank you. Hard pass. Yeah. I don't remember Ventura saying this, but I guess Arnold said it, that Ventura had poured water all over himself before they started their workout. So when Arnold would get there, he thought that Ventura was had already been working out that much and it was just yeah. water. So it's got, you know, you kind of think, okay, they're macho, whatever. But even, you know, in their interviews, they're laughing about it so hard. They were having fun. So as long as it's all in good nature, making fun of Ventura's muscles, that is pretty funny, I have to admit. (laughs) Yeah, this is just, it's a ridiculous (laughs) measuring contest that they've got going on. Yeah, constant. (laughs) And like I said, the, the one actor, he had rage issues. I'm just like, I wonder how that ended up like what stories there are from that but also apparently kevin hall before this played another alien that hunted people in a film in 1980 called without warning so apparently there was another film where he played a human hunting alien oh so that's that's great resume experience when you're (laughs) have played alien hunting (laughs) i don't know how harry and the henderson's fits into here i watched that show growing up harry's secretly hunting people on the down low it's like dexter <laughs> it's a conspiracy <laughs> bigfoot has to kill all the people that don't get fuzzy photos of him 
<laughs> oh no uh, so going into the film creation let's talk about our producers a little bit it, this film was written by brothers jim thomas and john thomas the screenwriters based the film on classic mythological stories they were looking at the cyclops the minotaur and just a dark creature that would hunt people down alien and aliens was a major inspiration as we've talked about this led to the crossover of the alien vs. predator comic books video games action figures and several films well only one should have happened uh rambo we talked about it was actually first blood part two which is a ridiculous title uh influenced the film and you can see that especially during the insurgency camp and the original plot only had dutch going against the predator schwarzenegger thought this was a horrible idea and the script was rewritten to include the crack commandos so how do you think this film works with just arnold just dutch against the predator ah geez i don't know i mean i'm, I'm sure they'd make it work but this is definitely seems like a better answer to that yeah that doesn't See, it doesn't feel right. And you just have one guy go to, you know, go on a rescue mission. That does not make sense to me at all. So I think Arnold was definitely right, you know, to, to say, okay, <laughs> this character should have a team with him. Yeah. I think he, I think Arnold has some great instincts about filmmaking. So I've heard so many things in the course of learning about this movie that were Arnold's ideas. And it's like, he must just really have his finger on the pulse of what makes a good movie. At least action movies. Then there's Jingle All the way yeah well we <laughs> hey, forget don't, that <laughs> don't you besmirch the name of jingle all the way <laughs> but yeah i mean if nothing else it, it gives the predator people to pick off we need our movie monster to be intimidating and to be an actual threat and if he's just hunting someone down and doesn't kill anyone I don't how know. else do you build suspense you know yeah. i mean that's that's how they build it yeah, you, you kill the, the team that you're somewhat attached to, except for the one guy that we're all rooting for to die. Maybe it was different people, but mine was Shane Black. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll talk more about yeah. Shane Black later. <laughs> yeah. This film also originally featured a Native American soldier as the lead. I kind of like that idea, but the, the Native American lead eventually evolved into Billy. Uh, that's not really touched on, but you kind of get instincts. He's their scout and their tracker. I kind of think I would have liked that. I, you can't cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as an Austrian Native American, I guess. Yeah, not so much. That would have been an interesting film. I don't know who they would have cast. Maybe the dude from uh, One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. Another podcast plug here. We're just going to keep plugging our episodes so you keep downloading them because... <laughs> Yeah, the guy, Sonny, does have Native American um, heritage, so, I mean, but I don't know that his his role wasn't as big here, so I don't know what kind of acting chops he would have to carry a movie. I kind of like the idea of just having a team that each of these different people has their different skill sets, so I think that you don't want to cram all of the skills into one person. Oh, yeah. This film was originally shot under the title Hunter, and Predators actually... I don't think it's ever mentioned in the film, but I like Predator a whole lot better than just Hunter. That's not a very intimidating title. It's like the name of somebody like that was born in the 90s. Here's my son, <laughs> Hunter. Yes, it's what you name your, your child if you're from West Virginia. Hunter or Clay or Archer. Or Clint. So, yes, yes. 
Shout out to my brother-in-law, Clint. <laughs> as far as the director goes, we've got John McTiernan. John McTiernan has done a number of movies that you guys might have seen. He's started off with Nomads. Predator was his second film. Then there's a little Christmas movie you guys might know of Die Hard. Uh, the Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Thomas Crown Affair, 13th Warrior, Rollerball, and Basic in 2003. And sadly, that's where he stopped because he uh, he had to go to jail uh, for some fraud. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> but what you're telling me is he, he might know a little bit of something about action films, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. I mean, I have not paid attention to directors as much as I should and going through this list I'm like I really like this guy I like his work well let's hear about this fraud what happened uh he had federal charges put against him uh for hiring someone twice uh once on a divorce and once to spy on his producer of rollerball oh. the FBI <laughs> called him and uh they asked how many times he'd hired this PI said once for divorce and he was charged for lying to a federal agent refused to testify against his divorce lawyer had to go to jail it is filmmaking career yeah why so, did he want to spy on that producer there was something about he suspected of the guy of trying to tank the film oh so huh. in the grand scheme of hollywood people getting into trouble this seems like a minor <laughs> Pretty low bar. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, but what is, you know, what have other directors done? You know, like, this is yeah. barely yeah, worth mentioning. Say, like, right. How, how does this ruin his career, but that one guy is still doing Jeepers Creepers? Anyways. Oh, oh yes. Yep. Yeah. Not fair. Yeah. This dude and Wesley Snipes are our token. We'll throw them in jail for a little bit. <laughs> like, we'll get Wesley Snipes for tax fraud. All you other guys, you're okay. So, but it is, to me, it's impressive that I think this is one of his first films. I think it's the second film. Yeah. So if he hadn't had success with Predator, would he, been, would he have been able to go on to do some of the other things that we love so much? You know, you have to wonder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if they had gone with that first costume, if that would have even happened either. Yeah. Thank goodness. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, there, there are pictures on the internet. It's... It's truly cringeworthy, and I can't imagine a five foot nine version of this thing. The real costume weighed about two hundred pounds. Space had... ghost. Space <laughs> ghost. <laughs> <laughs> they... Wow. The the impressions continue, and they continue to be on point. So I'm I'm going to keep allowing this. <laughs> but yeah, any other thoughts of John McTiernan here? How he got the cast together? A lot of these actually had military backgrounds, so he kind of wanted the cast to work together and build that military camaraderie. So a number of things popped up when, when I was watching the, you know, behind the scenes. He talks a lot about the geography of a scene. And I guess we'll get a little more into that when we talk about the cinema photography. But I think that that's something that makes his films stand out is the way he establishes a sense of place in the shot and also is able to create movement within the scene, almost in a way that Spielberg does, but he uses a lot of sort of camera movement and panning, but he also uses focus. So without moving the camera, he might be focusing on something in the background, and then as he wants your attention to shift, he shifts the focus of the film to 
something or someone in the foreground. So we saw a couple of examples of this, one being, I think it might have been Shane Black in the background saying something, and then he's clear, but then the camera changes focus and to Arnold who's right at the camera he's, you know it's a it's a it's a close up of Arnold and 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 now the, the background everything in the background and the characters in the background are now fuzzy and Arnold is clear those kind of subtleties really you have to slow down to to really pay attention to them but they make a difference for your enjoyment of a movie when the, there's so much happening in terms of movement that it's constantly got the viewer engaged. So even in a scene that's just dialogue. So I think little things like that make him really good. I heard that they almost didn't put down tracks. Like the director really pushed for them to put down like tracks for them to slide the cameras on because the terrain was so rocky that they were almost like, no, we can't. And he's like, no, we got to make it, make it work. And they did. And it looks great. Yeah, you don't expect great cinematography from your horror movies, but this is one that I throw in the horror. It's kind of a blend, action, horror, sci-fi all together. But Mary's right. This really did have some great shots. There were moments, it's not my forte of noticing, but there were moments like, wow, that was really cool. I like that shift or I like that transition. As far as editing goes, we, we've talked about it a little bit. As far as the helicopter scene, even the editor, Mark Halfrick, admits the scene goes on a little too long but he says i just had a lot of cool helicopter shots and i wanted to use them and then he throws in i would guess i was influenced by apocalypse now another fun issue with this film mythbusters which we we watch a lot of in our household same yeah prove that covering yourself entirely in mud doesn't in fact conceal your body heat after a short time the mud on your skin becomes warmer so sorry arnold you're kind of doomed oh no yeah yeah that doesn't work at all (laughs) not only that but the forest behind him is going to have this latent heat so there's not going to be that much contrast between a human and the forest background on a heat sensor so counterpoint to that mary which is that logic totally stands. However, at the end of the movie, you'll notice that his vision does go all red when he takes his mask off. I think the mask is like a filter for all the uh, flora, and I think it's supposed to help him track fauna more. Oh, interesting. I think that's what the mask was for, was to get rid of all the static of the heat of the jungle. Um, I noticed that when I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so Russell said that, oh, but is the mask helping him see movement rather than see heat? And I thought, okay, well, let's just test that. But there's a scene where Arnold's got a a spear and he's throwing it. Well, his arm is cool, but the spear is red. So if it were tracking speed of the objects in the view... Arnold's arm would also be lit up a different color. So to me, one of the weak points of the film is there's some inconsistencies for me with what the predator is viewing. I would say that 80-85% of it makes sense, but then then there's some things that make me go, huh? It breaks down. Like the the logic for, you know, they just kind of, we just do a hand wave. It's sci-fi, it's action, you know, it's whatever. We'll we'll enjoy it, but also we're nerds and we want to try and make the world more believable so we can immerse ourselves into it more. (laughs) 
<laughs> Listen, if, if you're active camouflaged alien with a sophisticated rocket launcher, it doesn't work in every scene. None of this matters, yeah. Like. <laughs> but to the defense of wh- whoever's working on the technological side of the filming, the effect of the light refracting around that you know that camouflage suit effect is just brilliant and that's a practical effect of layering film and that totally holds up yeah it was really cool when i was watching it it's it still really does hold up agreed that was such a cool effect they had i can't imagine what it looked like when they were shooting it we'll just go into it where they're talking about the actor was wearing a bright red suit and they would film the scenes with the actor in this bright red suit because it was the furthest color from the background of the jungle that they were in. And then they would layer it with a shot where the actor was not in. And they would do it at a 30% angle, which would create that kind of distortion effect. But it just had to look ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You can see a little bit of that in the behind the scenes. There's a scene where, you know, what's his name? Kevin Peter Hall, I guess. I, I'm assuming that's him. He's in that red suit which is like (laughs) sort of this like makeshift sweatsuit thing that's covering every inch of his body and then you know you're watching this it's bizarre on its own and it's got no score and then all of a sudden arnold rolls past (laughs) and he's like yelling (laughs) and you're like this is so weird because the enemy is this red suited whatever (laughs) and there's no music which makes the scene feels so strange and and you start to realize it's like okay well they're out there it is silent out there there is no sound just arnold rolling through the forest yelling at nothing (laughs) so you do have to give the actors credit because of how awkward it really is when you're actually filming this but then when you add the sound effects in later and the visuals in later then you have this like masterpiece but to actually be there at the time is super awkward. <laughs> All I can think of is Arnold going, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm punching a camel. And then Mary saying, I said no camels. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, That's five sorry. camels. I said no camels. Well, we've seen a lot of locations in, in sci-fi. We talk about Alien, and that's in space. Reference the thing earlier, and that's giving you the isolation in Antarctica. But here we have a jungle. And it, it doesn't really tell you what jungle they're in, just somewhere in Central America. But John McTiernan actually didn't care for the jungle that they were in. I, it was Puerto Vallarta. I'm going to mispronounce that. Here's a white person trying to pronounce Spanish. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but the the brown leaves in the background, he thought it didn't make it look much like a jungle. I I didn't get in, that impression. I, I love the jungle setting and throw that out to you all. How did you feel about our location here? I, I'm not sure what he means where it didn't feel like a jungle. I mean, the fact that you don't know where this is supposed to be taking place I think that that means that you could have had a variety of different settings or foliages and it would still work. We just needed a few more years and we could have gotten ACDC to tell us. It's a great oh, location. Guns and Roses, but... Oh, God. No. <laughs> I'm not going to start singing. Anyways, um, yeah, it's a great location. I think it looked fine, worked fine. Arnold hated it, though, because he, he was either too hot or too cold, like... 
when it when it was hot, it was insane. I mean, you could see the actor who played Mac just sweating bullets. They weren't just shooting bullets. They were sweating them just all my constantly. I felt so sorry for those guys. And there's like a scene at the end where Arnold is when he's like home aloneing the jungle and setting traps and stuff. He, he looks so tired. <laughs> home aloneing the jungle. He was home aloneing it so hard. And he looks so tired. There's this one shot of him and he's covered in mud. And the mud is dried. And I just can see it. I'm just like, oh, he is tired. This is like one of the last days of shooting. And he is just so done. So he said the mud was actually really cold. And he was yes. shivering with all that mud on it being night. Yeah. Maybe that's why they thought Predator couldn't see him, because he was just so cold. Like, obviously, no, he won't be able to see me. Arnold was arguing with the the, the scientist on set, and he's like, no, it's cold. It's cold enough. He won't see me. Um, <clears throat> so maybe that's why they they go with that. I like the result of that, though. They, they tried giving him, uh, they called it Jaeger tea to warm him up, but it just wound up getting Arnold drunk. <laughs> So now you've got a cold, upset, drunk Arnold around the set for several days. But yeah, the the poor guy in the Predator costume, too. They wound up putting him on bungees because, like I said, it was 200 pounds. The trees had concrete, so he was able to stand. And he just, he essentially said he survived this this movie. Yeah, it wasn't a movie. It was a survival story for all of us. That's what Kevin Peter Hall had to say. Leeches, snakes, stifling heat. So yeah, cold. Yeah, gastrointestinal issues. Everybody had dysentery except for Arnold and the director. I'm assuming they had bottled water or something. Yeah, I don't think it's one of those. They're so tough they don't even get dysentery. You know? Yeah, yeah they must not have been drinking the water, the same water that everybody else was drinking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. One of Arnold's stuntmans, he actually went over the waterfall and blew out his knee doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, that was the only scene that I was watching that looked like the cinematography wasn't great. It was actually a little grainy, and I think they did that intentionally so you couldn't tell that it was the stunt double. Probably, yeah. I, I, I don't know if that actual take is what ended up in the movie or not, but I sure as hell wouldn't want to be the stunt man who follows the guy who just blew his knee out. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get the take. Put somebody else in Arnold's outfit. <laughs> Like, <laughs> everybody would be running. <laughs> you look kind of like Arnold. You want in? Huh? Well, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a big jump. Revisit it this time. Man, that fall from the waterfall is just unreasonable. I guess if you're running from the predator, that's your option. But to uh, our environmentalist friends out there, uh, if you're concerned about the jungle being burned or blown up, the explosion location had already been burned to the ground. So when all of that excess is taking place, there was nothing there before. They were nice. They didn't. Uh, they didn't destroy. What was? I I thought it was a nice location. So yeah. I'm gonna disagree with the director here. As far as the wardrobes and the costuming goes, uh, we've talked about Shane Black. He hated the the glasses. Wah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. He wanted to look cooler, but John McTiernan wanted him to look like a geek, so he gets glasses. We gotta realize that back then, geek wasn't as chic as it is now, so he was get, he felt like he was getting bullied or made fun of, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say, what's fun is everyone on this podcast at, at the present wears glasses or had glasses, so it's fine, people. Shane Black, you're wrong. You don't get cool stuff, but for other reasons. Uh, <laughs> We've talked about the original 
Predator suit. Uh, Boss Studio was in charge of designing it. It's more arthropod, insect-like, but it wasn't really felt to be scary. Uh, I think Tessa mentioned that Stan Winston was brought in through the James Cameron connection, and the new Predator was eight and a half feet tall. They cast uh, Kevin Peter Hall, who was seven foot two. And unfortunately, Hall couldn't see with that mask on at all. So he would have to memorize his scenes of like swinging at Arnold. And Arnold talks about it and he's saying, you know, he was supposed to miss my face and then just whap. And I get <laughs> smacked with these claws. He can take it. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's getting paid well enough. And it seemed like he was a good sport. But uh, to have to memorize some of those fight scenes and just do them blind is crazy. Yeah, uh, uh, there are three separate heads. There's a hero head with the animatronic face that we were talking in the end. It's got that gurgling and the really cool effects. There's a static head, uh, and then there's a head that's completely open at the front for the scenes where the predator is wearing his mask. And all the actors in the film are wearing Vietnam era surplus gear, and that's it's not because it's a uh, an anachronism, but most of these were Vietnam vets. That's how they were being portrayed. And they were ex-military. So it made sense that they were carrying the Vietnam era gear instead of the current enlisted soldier gear. Yeah, it wasn't a period piece in that sense. Yeah, yeah, you've got uh, essentially Blackwater here going into the jungle. Tessa, have you seen anybody do a cosplay of Predator? Oh, I've seen oodles of them. There are so many good ones. I would imagine that's one that a lot of people probably want to do, but to do it well would be another challenge. Oh, the best one I saw was kind of like a pun one or a double entendre, if you will. But it was uh, someone had dressed up their kid, so it was a child predator. <laughs> <Yes>. And <laughs> But I'm sorry. Anyways. But yeah, it was really good. Like this little kid was like a little mini me predator and the parent was dressed as a predator. And I was like, you are parenting right. Kudos. Just make sure that child only sees the TNT version of this movie. <laughs> oh, God. Don't let's not tell Russell about that. He keeps wanting to dress up our tiny little redheaded baby as Chucky. I, I am for <laughs> that. No, no, Chad, do not encourage that. <laughs> I, I am pushing for this to happen. <laughs> he could be a good guy doll. He doesn't have to be no, Chucky. No, no good guy dolls. No. Just... I am on board. I'm on board with this. I mean, no, Mary. I will not secretly give him, your husband tips on how to make this costume uh, in secret. <clears throat> I will commiserate with Russell here. My wife also will not let my me dress my daughter in horrific things that would be a lot of fun now (laughs) he can be a predator he can be whatever just not chucky (laughs) predator blood is a really weird combination of uh, ingredients that you guys had put down what what is that tell me tell me oh man i've got to say it all right it's a mixture of here's a phrase i didn't expect to utter today it's a mixture of glow sticks and ky jelly Thank you, Chad, for that very inappropriate comment. (laughs) Yeah, Russell added notes to my notes because he doesn't trust me to do a good job, and he's right. Um, So I'm going to ruin this podcast further, but he's like, don't try and use that in the bedroom. Do not. (laughs) Do not not, uh, touch the uh, inside of glow sticks. We do not condone that. It just looks like really bad uh, Futurama had slurm. 
it winds up looking like Slurm. Oh my God, Slurm's Mackenzie. Wiggity, wiggity, wham, wham, wazzle. (laughs) But yeah, I I, want to ask questions, but I'm not sure I want answers as to why they went with that concoction, how they arrived. Was that what they had on hand? I mean, it's usually just like, what's easy, what's cheap, and what's effective, and and usually what's easy to clean. Yeah, and it's going to be like, we're going to waste a lot of it. So whatever it is needs to be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose, you know, kudos to that guy, of whoever designed that. But the glow stick thing makes sense because it's like other, you know, animals like lightning bugs that have bioluminescence. So it, it kind of is an interesting little science tidbit to think, okay, well this alien from another planet, what if there's, you know, bioluminescence is so strange even to us, so what if we use that somehow? So I think it's actually a really cool decision. Did it need to be KY Jelly? I don't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's inspiration from Alien, too, because Alien had that acid-type blood, so they're probably like, our aliens... And Jesse Ventura probably had a huge amount of KY Jelly because he's the sexual (laughs) tyrant of (laughs) He just had that in a suitcase, you know. (laughs) He probably also just like to like grease himself up to look sweaty, you know, as well. Make Arnold think he'd been working out. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to to Mary before we started this, and I I think he wasn't acting during any of those scenes. (laughs) I think he meant every word he said. (laughs) And it was all probably just off the top of his head. Off the dome. He's interesting. We'll go with that. As far as the other special effects, we talked about the explosive scene. That actually took two weeks of wiring the jungle with explosives to create all the destruction. That's just, that's a lot of work. And I imagine it just being, I like to think of the dominoes and you accidentally hit that 180th domino when you're trying to get to 300 and something goes wrong and just blows up. <laughs> I, I'm sure they were professionals and nothing went wrong at all. See, see our poor stuntman. And as far as the soundtrack and score, this was originally supposed to be scored by Michael Kamen, who collaborated with Joel Silver on Lethal Weapon, but Kamen was unavailable. He chose to do Adventures in Babysitting, wildly different film. But John McTiernan recommended hiring Alan Silvestri. And Silvestri was coming off of the excellent soundtrack of Back to the Future. And so this was his first type horror action type film soundtrack. And he returns. He's the only returning composer for a Predator film. He returns in Predator 2 and scores Predators. But uh, these other films wound up using a lot of his musical themes. Mary, I think it was you that touched on the, the score here. So do you want to talk a bit? A little about it? Yeah, I had a little bit of mixed feelings about the score because as things were starting to unfold and they're starting to move through the jungle and they're starting to realize something's not right, the music felt like a chase scene and it just didn't fit at all. So I even wrote in my notes, it's like, you know, we ought to be getting an eerie, tense feeling to the score right now. And, you know, it's like, okay, Indiana Jones is on a boat boat running from Nazis right now. 
respect what it felt like <laughs> to me. But when the action really started, when they're starting to get picked off, when they are chasing and being chased, then the score really came into its own and it felt right and it was really perfect. So I would have liked to have seen more contrast that the beginning of the movie should have had a little bit of different tone to it. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, Tessa, what did you think about it? Yeah, I listening to it, you could definitely tell that, yes, this person had worked on Back to the Future because any moment I thought, you know, Doc Brown was going to come out of the forest and be like, your kids, Dutch, they're jerks. You got to do something about your kids. You know, like I... <laughs> I was expecting, you know, something uh, or that or it kind of reminded me of Short Circuit. Did Alan Silvestri do Short Circuit as well? His his resume is long. He had worked on Flight of the Navigator, Contact. We got Death Becomes Her. Like his his resume is varied and long, uh, ranging from action, sci-fi to children's movies you know he's all over the place and it's very well-rounded so i'm kind of surprised he didn't change up the pacing like mary said that this felt like a car chase the whole time it almost felt like he ran out of time and he had done the intense fast-paced action scenes and like they needed to grab some chop it up and paste it in earlier parts of the movie it was almost like there was part of the movie just missing in terms of an appropriate score just for them to change the mood or pacing of it just Okay. I didn't really notice that listening to it so much as the pacing, but I definitely could hear that, you know, this person had worked on other films I recognized. Yeah, it it did. It reminded me of Back to the Future a lot. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, that makes sense. And random Little Richard right in the middle of it, too. (laughs) Yeah. That was really weird. On the helicopter ride, yeah. Yeah. Of all the music I expect, jesse ventura to be jamming out to little richard i don't think is in the top 100 well that man must be full of surprises (laughs) (laughs) no Uh, i'm okay so short circuit was composed by david shire not the same person but yeah there was just a certain moment where it really reminded me of when nova was chasing johnny and those three stooges robots uh pop up so So now it's time for our favorite time of the show. It's time for our movie superlatives. Are you guys ready to hand out some awards? Sure, I'm ready. That's excitement. (laughs) (laughs) So you can cut that out. You can be, okay, so I'm so excited to do the movie superlatives. (laughs) There there you go. Mary was on my level of excitement. Something enthusiastic you're looking for, Chad. Russell gets mad at me all the time. He's like, Chad, are you excited? I'm like, this is my excited voice. Yes, I'm excited. (laughs) Can can anyone else bail me out here? No. no, This is my 11 people. I'm sorry. (laughs) I used to get that about my face. Like I would get, you know, uh, teachers that would be like, don't make that face at me or something. I was like, this is my face. This is Tessa's happy face. (laughs) Yes. We are in good company. (laughs) Uh, anywho, uh, our MVP of the movie, Tessa? Oh, that's going to be Kevin Hall, for sure. Excellent choice, our monster. As we discussed, he was a trooper. He delivered the performance that they were needing so direly that, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme could not provide. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's not manly enough for this movie. <laughs> Don't feel bad for him. Do not feel bad for that man. <laughs> but if you, but if you do, check out Bloodsport, another shameless podcast blog. <laughs> We're going to break a record with this one. So, Mary, who's your MVP? I, I did pick Arnold. I think he's so enjoyable to watch and so quotable. So, yeah, that's the obvious pick, but I went with it. This does seem like peak Arnold Schwarzenegger for me. Like, it's it's probably his manliest role. Because <laughs> his arms are the biggest. Oh, good grief. When he shakes it. <laughs> Oh my god, his arms look like tree trunks. Like, seriously, I was watching it, I was rewatching. it, I was like, damn, Arnold, jeez. Like, how do you even put your arms down? Like, Yeah, that shot with Carl Weathers, it's like, my goodness. That, uh, where they show both of their biceps just to get that shot in. Ridiculous. But uh, For me, it's Stan Winston. So it's, it's cool, we all went di- separate directions, but Stan Winston's monster is what saved this movie to me. Yeah, you're right. If it looked like this ridiculous monster, then it'd be a mystery science theater instead of this intimidating and iconic movie monster that we have. Yeah, really good choice. I retroactively changed my answer now. Thanks. (laughs) It's like, yes, Chad, that was the right answer. (laughs) That is the correct answer. I like the appreciation for Kevin Peter Hall, and Arnold's got to get his props. So he's great if you cast someone else in this role. I, I don't know what it'd look like, but I don't think it'd be, it'd be as fun. So we'll move on to our best supporting actor, Tessa. The Excuse me, the Dylan character. I believe that would probably be the best supporting. Yeah. Carl Weathers. Yes. Carl Weathers uh, is probably best supporting actor. I mean, they just play so well off of each other. And, and I heard a rumor that Arnold actually got Carl Weathers to start smoking cigars. Before this film, he did not smoke. And as a parting gift, Arnold gave him, like, a case of cigars. Arnold is a, is, is a bad influence. Yeah, I saw that in the interview. Yeah. Carl Weathers was like, shame on you, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you get a great sense of camaraderie with those two. I mean, they're... They're really good together, and you, you kind of, I almost get a Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian, like, this is an old friend. So I, I really, that's a good pick. It's a great pick. Mary? I also picked Carl Weathers for the same reasons. I actually heard John McTierden say that he really pushed to have Carl Weathers. I guess one of the producers maybe didn't want to pay for him, but he really pushed for him because he knew that he would have that chemistry with Arnold. So a uh, great call. Yeah, that was money well spent. And it would be odd not seeing Carl Weathers. I have to change it up, though. It might get a little cringe from this, but I'm going Jesse Ventura with Blaine. Oh, God. Yeah, cringe. <laughs> hey, hey, there are no wrong answers with opinions. Oh, there definitely are. All but, right, uh, cool. I was just trying to play devil's advocate for you, but go ahead. Explain why you're wrong. That's that's my job. She's playing the part of me. I told Russell he spent two minutes being wrong in his superlatives last podcast. <laughs> but I thought Blaine had way too early of an exit. He's a ridiculous, over-the-top character. You're not supposed to like him, but I still wanted him around longer because I thought he was entertaining just the ludicrous stuff coming out of his mouth the entire time. Like, 
I want this dude around. I want him to die closer to the end. <laughs> I want him to see the Predator's face and get his reaction. Yeah, yeah, like, he thinks he could take on the Predator and just have that bold arrogance just blow up in his face. That's what I wanted. As far as hidden gems, let's go Tessa. Probably end up going with uh, Richard uh, Chaves as Poncho Ramirez, uh, the mercenary explosives expert. I don't know. I just something about him was just kind of charming. There was a moment where Jesse Ventura said, I don't have time to bleed. And <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> I know it's great. And Poncho, he just looks at him and goes, OK, like he makes like this, like, all right, you know, just like this incredulous look. His acting was very subtle and I felt felt very real to me. So I feel like he was a bit underappreciated. Yeah, I thought about him for my supporting actor because he just really, yeah, he brought a lot to the table. And maybe some of that really is his combat experience that's coming through. He felt you know, this was a familiar territory to him. So he, he, he felt comfortable there. He felt right being on that set. Yeah, I, I liked Poncho a lot. And just the ridiculousness of that scene. Like, You've been shot. I ain't got time to bleed. Yeah, well, it, they don't have time to carry his huge... Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was about to get his carcass around the jungle. Yeah, they're like, let's carry him. I was like, why are you guys carrying him? Just... Doesn't he have dog tags? You just take those with you. Yeah, no, we're going to leave your 250-pound rear end here, and we're going to go to the chopper. <laughs> yeah. Mary, who's your hidden gem? I went with Kevin Peter Hall because of the fact that he he is hidden. He is the magic that's behind the mask. Russell's like, no, that's, that's not what a hidden gem is. <laughs> like, well, I can pick him for my hidden gem if I want to. You can interpret those titles any way yeah, you want, Mary. There are no wrong you answers, Russell. <laughs> it, it's impressive. He's not even on the show today, and he's still wrong. <laughs> like, it, it's a superpower of his. But uh, I am agreeing with Mary. He is unseen in that costume. It's Kevin Peter Hall. Yeah, his acting really is superb because to make the creature so believable and realistic the amount of skill that he has to have that performance shine through with all that ridiculous amount of stuff that he's bogged down with he's got some real skill and so yeah i wanted to make sure that you know to highlight that in my superlatives yeah i've mentioned before he's the cane hotter of predator he's just great i i love that imposing size and without that size you're not getting that threat of Arnold. When someone picks Arnold up by the throat and you can just see the size difference, it's like, oh, oh, this this is a problem. <laughs> We've talked about our hidden gems and our MVPs, but now we're going to pick on someone. So who are we recasting, Tessa? Probably comes as no surprise, Shane Black as uh, Hawkins, the radio guy. Maybe we could get a big name to that would lean into the whole nerdy element and not care. Maybe Dustin Hoffman? Oh, I like that. Huh, that, that's a really good choice. Yeah, so of course, I think this is like pick on Shane Black hour. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no reason he can't go on to write a Predator movie just because we want somebody else here. Sorry, Shane. I picked Michael Bean. It's almost like you could extract him out of Aliens and put him in this movie and he would Ooh, fit perfect. Yes. So there's my, um, yeah, there's my pick. We're going to make it a three for three. Just gang up on Shane Black 
he's the worst part of this movie and i was thrilled he died first <laughs> it's even more frustrating that those stupid and idiotic jokes he kept making right. they were improvised by him so i just want him removed from this uh, it has nothing to do with the fact he directed iron man 3 those were improvised by him. I was going to at least give him some credit that he was delivering a line somebody else wrote. Oh, that makes it no. even worse. That He just couldn't... A, th those were cringeworthy jokes, and B, he couldn't He couldn't carry them. No, it, I mean, it was supposed to be awkward, but it just didn't work for me. And so, Russell, this has nothing to do with Iron Man 3. He directed it, and shame on him, because that was a terrible Iron Man. Uh, that's a running <laughs> joke. But I think I want Harold Ramis in this role. I feel oh. like... He he would be the nerdy guy that oh that's an excellent choice yeah if nothing else we all want shane black removed from this film so. <laughs> anybody <laughs> that else <laughs> that doesn't Strike take away from the record. that doesn't take away go listen to kiss kiss bang bang he's good at directing that he's just not good in this film so we'll move on from picking on mr black there tessa you want to give us our best shot this is really tough um i mean there's a scene with the alien blood on the leaves there's the shot with Arnold at the end when he's like, just come get me, come get me. And the you can see the predator have like that moment of realization like, yeah, something's up here and goes over. That's also really good. That's a good choice. Mary? So this is a deep cut. There's a there's a really beautiful artistic moment right after Arnold dropping a tree trunk on, right over the predator's head. Arnold, you know, sits back against a tree and there's a moment where the lighting from behind him hits the camera in a way that it kind of covers Arnold's face in this spectrum of blues, greens, and purple light right over his face. And it just... To me, I, that that was definitely on purpose. It was, it was you know, it was so similar to the light refracting technology that the Predator uses. So it, it was like this beautiful moment of highlighting how Arnold is the Predator now. He's the one in this camouflage. He's the one who has the upper leg now. So I just love that beautiful play of light with the camera. That is a... Uh... Deep thoughts with Mary Guest. I like that analysis. <laughs> I, 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 not... I guess it could have been totally accidental, but I don't think so. I think they, I think they thought that through. No, you're right. That's a great take. For me, mine's a little more simplistic and <laughs> less meaningful. I feel a, a little bit of thunder stolen by Mary's deep thoughts there. But right before the insurgency, Arnold's doing this army crawl. And it's a low tracking shot that manages to stay right behind him as he's crawling up to this log. And then it transitions over the log in one fluid shot into a shot of the camp. And you see over Arnold's shoulder. And I just thought that was really well done. And it just, it surprised me from a movie like this. We've talked about the cinematography. Surprisingly well done for this type of movie. Yeah, that's the kind of sense of geography that McTiernan always talks about where he's moving through the scene and getting you a sense of place in what otherwise could have just been a boring static shot the rails you guys brought up earlier that uh that was crucial that was crucial to get shots like that so I'm glad he managed to talk them into putting rails on that rough terrain as far as our best scene which is your favorite plot point or acting Tessa what's your best scene 
One of my favorite scenes is when Arnold is finally finished home aloneing the jungle and he gets on top of that tree and just does a guttural scream into the jungle that just echoes. I love that scene. It is iconic and it is primal and I think it awoken something in me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the predator now? And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to out-intimidate the... <laughs> the seven foot two guy. <laughs> that's an awesome scene, though. Yeah, that's great. And I, I still I'm a little mad about the Home Alone line just because I really wanted to put that in my plot summary. Like I'm I should I should have thought about that. That's that's brilliant. So kudos to you, Mary. What's your best scene? So I love the camera work where it follows a trail of blood very slowly and lingers this path all the way up the tree and then then it's a big moment of reveal that <laughs> Shane Black <laughs> is at the top of that tree. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And there was much rejoicing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful camera work with a great reveal. <laughs> KY Jelly and Shane Black <laughs> makes makes Mary's best. No, scene. I'm talking about his blood, not the predator. Oh, blood. that was different. No, the pre- no, 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 his yeah. blood. They're following. Okay. They're following this dripping of Shane yeah. Black's blood, and it's just running all down the tree. That yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But okay, okay. <laughs> for me, even though MythBusters ruined it for all of us, they can't let us have nice things. It's still Arnold covered in mud, hiding from the Predator for the first time. That's the first time we really get to see the Predator in full vision, standing there. It's it's the biggest fear moment of the movie, and it's the moment where he figures out, okay, this is maybe how I can beat it. It can't see me. So Which he needed we, to stay, but quietly yeah. to himself. Yeah. <laughs> you have to explain the plot, otherwise people won't get it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> He's narrating it specifically for Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of Ventura. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, change one thing. You can cut that out if you want. <laughs> no, I, I hope we keep it. Uh, what editing's for? We're going to keep that one. It can't be changed. It is in cement, just like the Predator's Perch. Uh, change one thing. Tessa, what are you changing? We already discussed it, the recasting. <laughs> <laughs> so not only recast, but just eliminate Shane Black from this movie. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Man, that is fair, and I'm okay with it. I'm, o- I'm okay with revisiting it. He deserved it. Man. <laughs> Mary, what are you changing? Yeah, that. And I just got pulled out of the movie several times with the inconsistencies with the heat signature, the infrared readings. That was just bugging me because I know some of it's just not accurate. So if there had been some more consistency or somehow just realizing it doesn't work and editing it different. I don't like those moments where I start thinking about the technology and if it if it's accurate or not because i want to be focused on the movie and the action so that's fair or you have arnold slowly whisper how it suddenly works to himself (laughs) (laughs) we can fix this for me i actually i know you guys were complimenting the editing but i felt like it was about 15 minutes too long 
there were some lingering shots that were unneeded. We talked about the indulgent uh, insurgency camp, the helicopter scene, even the editor was like, yeah, my bad. That went on a little bit too long. So just a little bit tighter of a movie. I, I had already gone after Shane Black in my recast, so I wasn't going to go back. What do you got against helicopters? <laughs> I, I love helicopters, but yeah, that, that, that was just a bit long. I don't need Little Richard. <laughs> so little removing Little Richard from the movie is your change one thing. <laughs> oh, I have nothing against Little Richard, but yeah, sure. It's just weird. It just... <laughs> Was everything else is orchestral yeah. and then it's Little Richard. That was very jarring. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've got to be careful with our next category. It is best quote, but we are also a family podcast, so we may not be able to quote or we may be bleeping things. So, Tessa, with that in mind, uh, what's your best quote? Oh, um, okay. Well, then I won't go for that one. Um, I mean, there's so many good quotes in this movie. It is very, very quotable. I, I got to go with that. I ain't got time to bleed. All right. Very good. I did get bleeped once and then I got banned for two months. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was quoting a movie, darn it. I'll still defend that. But Mary, Mary, how are you going to work around this? You know, there's, there's actually a lot of good ones. One that stuck out in my mind is just being a little bit bizarre. <laughs> Arnold said I don't, I don't remember the first part of it but he says something about drop the six of us in a meat grinder <laughs> he's so angry but he's saying meat grinder <laughs> and he like, I don't think anybody else could have said that line in a movie and us be able to take it seriously except Arnold alright Tessa you're up pronounce meat grinder for us no don't put me on the spot like this oh come on <laughs> I can't. I can't. Meat grinder. I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> Woof. No, it wasn't. Um, I thought you were going to have me do another quote. I actually almost came into the show being like, Chad, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was about, about just went into it that way. But oh. That one we can keep. That one I think we can keep. Or that's an ugly dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ugly mother humper. Mine, I do have to cut a little bit. Uh, Russell's going to gonna bleep that too, Cook. probably. That's so much worse. Uh, I'm going with Jesse Ventura too, though. Him saying he's a sexual tyrannosaurus, I just, I can't get past that line. <laughs> it is just so out there. And no one else other than Jesse Ventura could say that without suspending my disbelief. But I believe that's a line he said before this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's his pickup line yeah yeah i could see him just at a bar with his tinfoil hat on saying I, i'm a sexual tyrannosaurus man i recently did a another podcast called um trash in the can where we watch bad movies so you don't have to one of the movies we saw was rotor and it was kind of like a terminator robocop knockoff and one of the lines said in it was you're louder than a couple of skeletons making love in a tin coffin and i was like man <laughs> these, these action dudes say like the best phrases so good and yet no one took arnold's knock knock and i think we just, just gotta add that in that like arnold has said that one of his favorite movie quotes is from this movie and it's get to the chopper yes he says it so much, although his kill me with the predator 
that final showdown, kill me, <laughs> do it, do it. Like, that's a great scene, too. I'm going to throw in a curveball, one last superlative, because we've got to do it. These, these franchises are so intertwined. Who wins, Alien or Predator? Tessa? I mean, it's like comparing apples and oranges. I mean, yes, they're both sci-fi, but one is more horror suspense and the other is more action horror sci-fi. I don't know. I mean... Uh, you mean I in I'd a fight, a combat fight between the two. Yes. Oh, in a combat fight between the two? Absolutely. Well, what kind of xenomorph are we talking? <laughs> the, the normal non-Prometheus whatever they did to that series. So we're talking about alien bipedal yes. uh, humanoid xenomorph yes. versus Predator. Yep. I think Predator would win. Okay. That's a good vote. Mary? So I actually would go the other direction with it because I think the xenomorph could infect everybody on the team before they even knew they were sick. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the uh, with Alien. He's got the face hugger, babies. It's helpful. Like I, so I think that there's not there's nothing that says that the xenomorph can't infect the predator. Well, the the regular soldier bipedal xenomorph can't lay eggs. Only the queen lays eggs. So in the first Alien, there's only the one alien, and there couldn't be more. And so that's it. Didn't know what to do. It was like an True. ant without its queen in a colony. So they go a little weird. <laughs> anyway, True. sorry. True. Just big. Big into xenomorph uh, backstories. No, I, I, I love the nerdy debates, and I, I've got to side with Tessa and go with the Predator. I, I think the tech overcomes the hunter of the alien, but if you haven't checked it out, Alien vs. Predator, the first one, I was about to say it's a great movie. It's an enjoyable movie. It's a movie that you can watch. Yes, you will have fun with it. So if you haven't checked that out, go check out Alien vs. Predator. And then let us know if the right side won. I will say that Sigourney Weaver is going to put them both out in space. <laughs> <laughs> They've got no chance. No, you're right. She is the ultimate queen. Uh, so this has been a lot of fun. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we get to our ratings and recommendations, would you like to plug Other Worlds one more time? Tell us where we can check you out. Uh, yeah, we're going to be at uh, otherworldsfilmfest.com. We have some orbiters coming up that will be online. We recently did a Q&A with the director of James versus his future self was our last screening. And we did a Q&A on Zoom for that. And then, like I said, we have the festival coming up in December. And until then, we're going to be figuring out more orbiters. So if they want to check one of those out, they can just uh, come to the website and we should have updates or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Excellent. And if you enjoyed Tessa on today's show, go check her out in Buckaroo Bonsai. I, I cannot say the rest of the ridiculous title. And his adventures through the eighth dimension. Thank you. Thank you very much. Controversial title around here. <laughs> I may have had a little, little something to do with that, but uh, <laughs> we enjoyed the show nonetheless. And it's got some, good characters christopher lloyd does a memorable performance uh now it's time for our ratings and recommendation we'll start with you tessa what are you giving predator it's zero to five and half star intervals i will give this 
4.5 out of 5 human turkey jerky carcasses. <laughs> Hung up and flayed in a jungle. They're just upside down and inside out and sleeping. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, Mary. I'm going to give it a 4. Okay. All right. Good ratings all around. I'm, I'm going to go four and a half as well. Really enjoyed this. Mary, check out Predator 2 when, I, you know, maybe Grant's asleep. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it, it's a good time too. The, the Predator series is, uh, I, I'm fond of it. This was a huge amount of fun. Mary, are you ready to help me pick a movie for next time? I think so. <laughs> That's the excitement we... We generate around here at the Retro Movie Roundtable. What are y'all's uh, options? We are going comedy. So option number one, Dumb and Dumber, 1994. After a woman leaves a briefcase at the airport terminal, a dumb limo driver and his dumber friends set out on a hilarious cross-country road trip to Aspen to return it. Our option two is Office Space from 1999. Three company workers who hate their jobs decide to rebel against their greedy boss. And option three is Tommy Boy. From 1995, after his auto parts tycoon father dies, the overweight, underachieving son teams up with a snide accountant to try and save the family business. I think I'm going to go with Office Space on this. The movie that sadly gets more relevant the older I get. <laughs> good choice, Mary. And yes, to our children will seem like a science fiction. <laughs> What's a copy machine? Oh, great choice. I look forward to doing that. Remember all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, these reviews and subscriptions really help the show. Give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro, or email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Uh, producing the podcast and providing it is fun, but it's not free, so we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page. Any contribution is much appreciated. Go towards making the show better for us and for the listeners. Thank you so much once again, Tessa, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Anytime, Sci-Fi. You are welcome back. Mary, thank you so much for stepping in. As always, thank you all for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Mary? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. Ah, oh, excellent. <laughs>